Good morning. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, Pastor Brian has taken some much-deserved uh, uh, leave, so it's my privilege to be on this side of the room this morning. Uh, good to see your smiling, beautiful faces. Uh, my name is Wayne Smith. I serve at Pathway Church through our school, Masters Academy. We're a pre-K-3 through 12th grade Christian school. Uh, I was asked about 10 days ago, so what's your method, your methodology, uh, your method of education? And there's all kinds of pigeonhole categories. And I said, and this is my standard response, we're a biblical worldview school. We teach math and science and everything that's required. We prepare kids for college and beyond, uh, but we do it uncompromisingly through the lens of God's Word. So we're a biblical worldview school. And I thank you for your prayers, your support. Masters Academy is very strong. We're in a good, we're in a good um, state. But it's not about numbers. Um, um, it's not about our children uh, actually graduating and going to college. Uh, more significantly than that, it's uh, changed lives and them impacting the world for Christ as a result of the ministry of our church and our school. We do have a couple of positions that are open. Um, we are looking for a lunchroom coordinator, a lunchroom facilitator. It's about 20 hours a week. Uh, if you know anyone interested in that, um, my email address is on uh, the website. Um, call the school. And then we have two tracks, high school tracks. I've shared this with you before. We have a traditional track. We have a Votec track. And we're looking for a part-time aid in the Votec track, also about 20 hours a week. Uh, preferably somebody that can do PE and math. Now, that might be a tough mix, um, but we have those uh, um, open here at our school right now. Um, it's a joy to serve the Lord, and it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I know Pastor Randy just prayed, but I'd like to pray too, so join me in prayer. Father... Thank you for our school, thank you for our church, thank you for Pastor Brian, give him a good rest, uh, some time off, uh, and be with us, Lord, as we study your word, uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we, this morning, continue our series through the book of John, Rediscovering Jesus, and this morning we're in John chapter 11. Uh, John chapter 11, now spoiler alert, okay, if you don't know about John chapter 11. I'm going to intro the story to you. Um, so if you want to block your ears, you don't want to hear it until I read the scriptures. Um, but, but it's a very, very familiar story uh, where there is this family that Jesus loves, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We don't know anything about their background. Uh, we don't know anything about their spouses if they were married, but they're siblings, they're adults, and, and they're dear friends of Jesus. And Jesus stops in and, and, and visits them from time to time. Uh, warm company, good meal, good fellowship. And Jesus is away ministering, and Lazarus falls ill. We don't know how long Lazarus was sick. And eventually it gets to the point where, where evidently it's not looking good, and Mary and Martha send word to Jesus to come or, or to just help. Um... Lazarus dies. Jesus turns up seven days later and raises Lazarus from the dead. 
Now, a profound question. What was the first thing Lazarus said when he came out of the tomb? The first thing he said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> In fact, I heard someone say, I want to put that on my tombstone. I, I told you I was sick. Uh, John uh, Christ, a Christian um, stand-up comedian, has an interesting take on Lazarus. He said, now, the story of Lazarus is actually bad news for Lazarus, right? Because where is he? He's in heaven. He's been in heaven for four days. So there he is getting settled in, you know, kind of decorating his mansion, maybe gone and had a meeting with Moses, set up a meeting with Abraham. Maybe he walked down the street and saw a kid that was in his high school and kind of chuckled, how did he get in here? You know? Um, and then there's a knock on the door. Hi, Lazarus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, we don't normally do this. Um, yeah, I don't know really how to tell you this. Um, you have to go back. Yep, you have to go back to the Middle East. Dusty roads, no air conditioning. <laughs> Well, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Okay, jokes aside. <laughs> and, and, and there are some things in this story that are just incredible, heartwarming, but, but, but there's also some things where we kind of scratch our heads and say, why did this happen? Or, or what does that mean? And then at the end of the story, hopefully, God shines light into our lives and says, now this is what I want you to learn from this story from Lazarus rising from the dead. So we are, we are going to read verses 1 through 45, and we won't read all those verses, but we'll read most of them. If you're following in your Bible, I will give you some direction. The verses are going to be up on the screen. Uh, John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, we, uh, we know that Bethany was about two miles east of Jerusalem, maybe an hour or so's walk away. One of the most amazing miracles that Jesus performs, and there were about 26 miracles that Jesus performed that's recorded in Scripture. Excuse me, we believe there were probably a lot more, but at least 20, 24 to 26 uh, And this amazing miracle is going to play out in the small, obscure village with this ordinary family. Verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I, and I track with me, this is, this is day one. Okay? Day one, Mary and Martha decides, Lazarus is sick enough, we're going to send for help. Uh, a couple of questions we ask, well, where is Jesus? Uh, John 10 tells us that Jesus left Jerusalem and he went east of the Jordan River. That would be a day at least, probably two days walk from Bethany to east of the Jordan. How does Mary and Martha know where Jesus is? Well, they're a close-knit group of supporters. We know that Jesus had a group of supporters besides the disciples that that supported Jesus, that followed Jesus. So, so even though there were those in Jerusalem already trying to 
capture Jesus or plot his end, his followers evidently would have known where Jesus was and they sent for him. Mary and Martha would, would have known what Jesus is capable of doing. Mary and Martha would have known that Jesus didn't have to come to Bethany. He could just say the words and their brother would be healed. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So uh, Jesus hears the message that Lazarus is ill on his deathbed. So that would be at, at the minimum day two, probably day three. Okay? Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister in Lazarus. Somebody says to you, one of your best friends is sick, and you're capable of at least going to console the family, if not helping and intervening, don't you get up and go? Don't you respond immediately? Right? We would. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, you and I know the end of the story. And that's easy for us to process. But if we don't know the end of the story, we're asking ourselves, what? Your, your friend is sick and you're not going? Why not go immediately? <laughs> the family you love is sick. The family that you supposedly spend time with and hang out with and, and, and you, you, you have this bond. Why not just say the word and Lazarus is healed? Remember the story of the Roman centurion? Jesus is going about his ministry and this Roman who, who wasn't a follower of Jesus, not Jewish, not a supporter of what Jesus is doing and teaching, calls out, teacher, my servant is sick, heal him. And, and Jesus drops everything. He says, okay, let's go. And the centurion says, well, you don't have to come to his home. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus does. Why doesn't Jesus do this in this instance? He doesn't. Verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So now we're at day four or day five. Let's go down to verse 11. I'm halfway through the 11th verse. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Evidently Thomas doesn't understand what's going on. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this is day six, probably day seven. Seven days. Lazarus died on day two or three after Jesus 
was sent for help. Jewish, Jewish custom, they bury within 24 hours. Back in the ancient world and in the world here today. Within 24 hours. And where is Jesus? Where is Jesus when his friend is suffering? Where is Jesus when Mary and Martha are sitting at the bedside, watching life slowly slip out of the body of their brother? How many times did they look down the dusty streets of Bethlehem hoping that Jesus is on the way? Did they wake up at night hearing Lazarus cough or stir and thinking maybe Jesus has healed him and he hasn't? What were the thoughts going through their head when Lazarus eventually dies? And then they start rushing to make arrangements and they lay him in the tomb and they're grieving and mourning. They're feeling the sting of death. And Jesus hasn't showed up. Jesus is distant. Do you ever question his silence? Do you ever question the lack of response from God when you're pleading? Let's look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> There's kind of a veiled uh, accusation there in those words, isn't it? If you had been here, I wouldn't be hurting like this. If, if, if you had showed up like you said you would. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Back in the ancient world, scholars were divided on this idea of the resurrection. Some believed in the resurrection and some did not. Jesus taught the resurrection. Martha evidently believed the teachings of Jesus, believed in the resurrection. And she says to Jesus, I believe my brother will rise in the resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's interesting, Pastor Randy asked this question just a few minutes ago. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Mary, I mean Martha. Jesus said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's go to verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus said to him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same words Martha had said. I can picture Mary and Martha's sisters consoling themselves at the bedside of their dying brother. If the Lord comes, he'll heal him. And then when Jesus died, I'm sure they said to himself, if Jesus had been here, he would have healed him. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come, from, come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, now those words, deeply moved, are fascinating. Uh, I'll come back to it later. Uh, fascinating. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Have you ever asked similar questions of God? <clears throat> Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you respond? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you stop that guy running the red light? Why didn't you stop that family member from going down that path? Why didn't you stop the breakup of my marriage? Have you ever asked God, Lord, what did I do to cause this series of events to happen? Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. In the Greek, those are the same words. Deeply moved. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. There was this practice in the ancient world that if you were rich enough, you could buy a portion of a hill and then hire somebody to dig out a cave for you that would be your tomb, your burial place. They would cut a deep ridge or rut in the front of the cave, they would carve out a stone that would fit the front of the cave, and when you died, they would literally roll the stone in front of the cave, drop into that rut, and it was extremely difficult to get that stone moved away. <clears throat> this is where Lazarus is laid. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Another Jewish tradition is that they do not embalm. Jews think that's mutilation, mutilating the body. So they bury within 24 hours in a plain wooden casket. It's just a little side personal note. I don't understand, I, I don't understand expensive caskets, but that's another thought. I digress. So they, so in Jewish life, somebody dies, they put them in a plain pine box, put them in the ground, and bury them within 24 hours. No embalming. So when Jesus says, move the stone, Martha is saying, Lord, he's been there four days. There's going to be an odor. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Why in a loud voice? I don't know. I heard somebody say, well, he wanted to make sure that the spirit world, other dead people, didn't get confused who he was talking to, and others might come out the grave. No, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do trickery. He can zero in on Lazarus, tell his spirit, his soul, his body, Lazarus, come out. Maybe he was trying to quieten down those who were mourning. Maybe he was just confident I don't know why a loud voice. He calls out in a loud voice. 
Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now these next words are some of the most profound in Scripture. There are lots of profound words in Scripture. But if I did list them, these next words would be near the top. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. The New International Version says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let him loose. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. We'll stop reading there. It's easier for us to process a tragedy if we know the end of the story. It's easier for us to process something if it's somebody else's story. The two dozen odd miracles that Jesus performed have no consistent theme in them that we can read them and study and kind of glean some insight on how we must handle tragedies and trauma. In fact, sometimes it kind of puzzles us because we think of Jesus turning water into wine simply to save a young couple from embarrassment at a wedding. Why doesn't he save me from embarrassment? <laughs> have you ever done something stupid and been terribly embarrassed? And you think, Lord, you could have shut my mouth. You could have, Lord, you could have intervened and saved me from embarrassment. Jesus is sleeping one day in a boat and his disciples are petrified because there's a storm rocking the boat and Jesus is sleeping and they wake him up, Master, teacher, aren't you concerned we're about to die? And Jesus stands up and he calms the storm. He speaks to nature. In 2004, two plates of the earth move under the Indian Ocean and it causes this big tsunami that sweeps across the Indian Ocean and kills over 200,000 people. And said, Lord, if you can still the storm to quieten your disciples, why not just change the course of that wave? A pagan Roman centurion calls for the healing of his servant and Jesus does it. And you sit at the bedside of your loved one and you pray for days and days and there's nothing. Jesus reunites a family whose brother has died and they rejoice and celebrate. Some of you know what it's like to have a family torn apart through death or deceit or divorce. I don't suggest to you for a moment that I have good answers for you. <laughs> but I do think that understanding some issues or some concepts in this story helps us understand and wrestle with and come to terms with trauma and tragedy and suffering. So in our next uh, few minutes, 
I'm going to take you through three things. First of all, Jesus is deeply moved. Twice, the Bible tells us at the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus is deeply moved. Now, now the fascinating thing is that the Greek word for deeply moved could be interpreted indignant. Why would Jesus be indignant at the graveside of Lazarus? In fact, that same Greek word can be used for an, an, for an animal snorting in anger. And I can picture a bull facing and maybe another bull in the field or, or, or some cowboy in a rodeo and staring down and, 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 and snorting, indignant. Why would, why would Jesus be so moved at the tomb of Lazarus that he's indignant? Is it because of the comments of the sisters? Martha saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary saying the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Is it because of other bystanders or visitors who said, if he had been here, since he healed somebody or, or, or cured them from blindness, couldn't he have saved this man? Is that why Jesus is indignant? No. Jesus isn't toying with Mary and Martha. He didn't throw this out as a test for them. He's not indignant because, or delayed in him responding because he's trying to get some sensationalism going here. Jesus was never one to sensationalize anything. In fact, he resisted the press of the crowd. Very often when he performed miracles, he told people, don't speak about this. So why is he indignant? I've got three thoughts for you and why Jesus was deeply moved. First of all, Jesus knew that this isn't how it was supposed to be. Death wasn't part of the original creation. Death and pain and suffering is not the end. This is, this is the result of sin and evil. Jesus is once again called upon to console a family who is suffering because of the consequences of a fallen, sin-riddled world. And maybe he's indignant because of that. Another reason could be because Jesus is about to face down the forces of darkness. We don't see the spiritual world, you and I. We see the results of it. We might sense it in our spirits, but we don't see the spiritual world actual, actually in action and doing battle. And Jesus does. So is it possible that Jesus stared down the evil world over the tomb of Lazarus? Is it possible? Because we know that demons are not omniscient. They, uh, they don't know everything. Is it, is, it, is it possible that demons were hanging around the tomb of Lazarus kind of gloating so what are you going to do about this? Do you think they wanted to keep Lazarus dead? Of course. They didn't want Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. They didn't want Mary and Martha's grieving and groaning to turn to joy. They don't want Mary and Martha's questions, Lord, if you had been here, to turn to hallelujah, praise the Lord. And maybe Jesus is staring down the very evil in that place. 
and going to take it on. And the third reason, I think, is an obvious one why Jesus was deeply moved. Well, in fact, I want to come back to a quote. It's there in the screen. The pulpit, the pulpit commentary says, He took the death agony of Lazarus and the humiliation of the grave and the tears of the sisters upon himself when he resolved to call out, Lazarus, come forth, and to snatch from the grasp of the grim conqueror for a little while one of his victims. I think that's good. And then a third reason why Jesus was deeply moved, and we saw that in that verse, that short little verse, is because Jesus is hurting, because his friends are hurting. The suffering Savior has responded. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Hebrews chapter 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Secondly, and really the pivotal point of this passage, and what I would argue history hinges on this next phrase, your eternity hinges on this next phrase, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said, Lord, I know he will rise at the resurrection. Jesus said to him, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am always here. I will never leave. I will never not be found. I am. I am never unavailable. I am never late. I will never be a no-show. Even when I don't show up when you want me to, I am. Even when it appears if I'm not intervening in your darkest hour, I am. In your most hopeless situation, I am. In your most traumatic trauma, I am. In your perplexing questions, I am. In your deepest doubt, I am. I am the resurrection. Martha pointed to a future hope. Jesus points to himself and says, Martha, I am that hope. I am the resurrection and the life. These comforting words of Jesus to the weeping sisters in that little Jewish village would be worthless and empty and even cruel if Jesus didn't back it up with his own resurrection. And he does. If Jesus' resurrection is true, which we believe it is, one of the most studied events of the ancient world, then what we're doing here today is real. And when Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life, it's not just pointing to some distant, eternal reality it's pointing to today in our world, I am your resurrection, your life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am yours. Yes, there's a sting in death. So the third sub-point there is the life. 
But for the believer, that sting in death is mitigated by the hope in the resurrection. The realization that God comforts us and reminds us that death is not an end. And we don't mean to make light of that when we're consoling a loved one that's grieving. But that's the reality. In Christ, there is life, even though there's death. In Christ, there are answers, even though there are serious doubts and questions. In Christ, there is God's presence, even though it might appear as if God isn't showing up. In Christ. In Christ, we have what money cannot buy, in Christ, we have what politics cannot solve. In Christ, we have what therapy cannot guarantee. In Christ, we have what blood family cannot always deliver. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, Jesus could have saved Lazarus from afar. Yes, Jesus could have turned up sooner and saved Lazarus from death and spared Mary and Martha at least several days of mourning and agony but rather than that, Jesus wanted to draw Martha into something far deeper than the agony of her brother dying. And that for us is hard to process at times. When we're in the midst of that fog, that emotional turmoil, <laughs> you and I have been there. A loved one that's dying a loved one that's deserting, a loved one that's going down a path of destruction, and we're pleading, and we're hoping, and God isn't showing up, but yet in the spiritual realm, God is wanting to draw us into a deeper understanding that He is the resurrection and the life. Alexander McLaren, one of my favorite Bible commentators, calls this the delay of love. <laughs> you and I want that love now. <laughs> Show up now. And God is saying, I'm here. There's going to be a delay on your timetable, but never on mine. <laughs> never on God's. And then finally, to wrap this up, Jesus tells them, move the stone. Take away the stone. <laughs> I can imagine people thinking, saying, Lord, you move the stone. You can do it. Or maybe just have Lazarus walk through the rock. <laughs> Jesus says, move the stone, unbind him, and let him go. Mary and Martha were going to get their brother back, but more significantly, they were going to experience the glory of God that day. More than rejoicing that a family reunited would be the realization that God is with us, that he is never too late, that he is never a no-show, that he is never too distant. So my question for you is, what's in your way? The devil wants to keep you in the tomb. <laughs> he wants to keep you in the tomb of doubt, and pain and misery and self-pity 
And you can be assured that the forces of evil waging war over your soul wants to keep you in that tomb. And God is saying, come out. Maybe there's an obstacle there. Maybe there's something that you haven't been willing to let go of. Maybe a hurt that is still hounding you. And the devil doesn't want you to get victory over that. The devil doesn't want your difficult questions answered. The devil wants to keep you in the pain and the misery. And Jesus is wanting to set you free. Unloose the grave clothes and be set free. Our next step questions, I'm actually going to give you a couple of quotes with his next step questions. Philip Yancey says, we cannot undo grief, yet we can cling to hope that an omnipotent God has the power to resurrect us and our loved ones to a new and permanent state. The question is, do you believe? That's really one of the biggest obstacles, right? <laughs> do you believe? A great the uh, theologian by the name of uh, Jürgen Moltmann said, God weeps with us so that we may one day laugh with him. Oh, I like that. God weeps with us so that we may one day laugh with him. Next question is, how do you handle God's delayed love in your life? Maybe he's allowing you to weep today because one day you're going to laugh with him. And then third, there's a story in the Old Testament where God points to a valley of dry dead bones and he asks the prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel says to God, Lord, you know. And maybe this morning God has directed you to a valley of your own dry dead bones. Maybe an area of your life that's dried, that's run out of joy, that's run out of purpose. And God is saying, do you believe that this can live again? And the answer, because he's the resurrection and the life, the answer is yes, Lord, it can live again. I want to end with a quote from Romans 8. And then I want to quote a couple of lines from the song we're going to close the service with. Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? No, no tomb, no rock. No gloating devils and demons. The worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. There's one verse that repeats a few times in the song. It says, By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Maybe this morning... You're going to resurrect to a new hope and a new joy in Christ. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Let's stand and respond.
is crowned with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore our sin and shame now robed in
tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain cause our God has robbed the something if you need to just take a step we have prayer partners here that'll meet you and pray with you and love you and if you want to pray by yourself that's fine too but just take advantage of the altars up to the front or just take a step forward if you need to lord we love you we praise you we thank you oh god we thank you that you raised jesus from the dead enabling us to have hope and life and love and victory and uh, that you defeated death and sin and hell for us lord you love us that much. May we experience your love in such a way that we would live our lives differently. May uh, just the manifestation of your presence be in us constantly so we can live our lives for you. And as we inter interact with others, they would see Jesus in us. It's not us, Lord. We boast in you, not in us. We boast in what you're doing, not in what we can do. Lord, correct us if that's where we're at. If we think we, we can do this, we can't. And Lord, sometimes you ask us to cooperate as, as we heard from your word, those obstacles, Lord, that are in our way. And you're asking, hey, uh, I can remove that, but I want your cooperation with that. So Lord, we, we cooperate with what your spirit's saying to us about the obstacles in our life. 
And Lord, with the delayed response or the delayed answer to prayer, God, may we trust you as we've spoken about so often in this service. May we trust you and have faith in you that you will respond. You will answer the prayers, but it's going to be your way, your time, and how you want to see it happen. That doesn't make you any less powerful or sovereign or victorious. In fact, the opposite. You're more strong and more mighty and more faithful because you do it the way you know it's supposed to happen. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you and we trust the resurrected Christ that resurrects us every day into a new person, into a new creation to follow you how you see fit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your unbelievable um, just grace and mercy and compassion on us. We are overwhelmed with your presence and we thank you. And we thank you for visiting us in such a powerful way. May, may we go with you. You're with us, but may we go with you as we leave this place today. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give him praise one more time? Yes. Listen, I know what time it is. So uh, after we dismiss, uh, just if you have children, and go get them. But... Uh, we have a welcome center out here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please go out there. Please say hello. We have a gift for you and, and say hi. Otherwise, church, we love you. Now go and be the church.